Please keep open there. Uh, if you have a Bible in front of you, please keep it open at 1 Timothy chapter 1. And we'll be looking in particular today at verse 15, but also uh, the verses in and around it. Why does Dremore Reformed Presbyterian Church exist? Why do we make every effort to, in some way, meet together in person or online every Sunday, or as we call it, the Lord's Day? But why do we make that effort each week? Why would a relatively small group of people want to employ someone full-time to preach and pray for them and visit them? Why would a preacher make a life-changing decision for his family and move from humble little Derry Keegan to humble little Dremore in this year of all years? Well, the answer to all those questions is found in 1 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 15. It's all because Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. This is the one thing that changes everything. This is the good news that is always good news, pandemic or no pandemic. This is the greatest news in the history of the world. It's better than getting a vaccine appointment booked. It's better than the news we hope to get someday that we can hug our grandparents or mix and mingle at close quarters indoors. It's better news than Ireland winning the Six Nations or that summer holidays can finally be planned. It's even better news than a baby being born or a couple being engaged or cancer going into remission. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And if there is one thing that we want to be known for as preacher and people in Dremore, this is it. If you had to sum up the Bible, the Christian life, the reason for the existence of the church, here's how to sum it up. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. We should never get tired of hearing that. And if we're Christians, we should certainly never get tired of declaring that, making it known. And as I begin my ministry here with you today, this is where I want to begin. This is the drumbeat that I hope will, will be sounded week after week in all that we do as preacher and people together. And so I want us to begin today by thinking about the importance of these words and how central they are to our purpose as a local church. Let's think first of all about the truth that Jesus came. The truth that Jesus came. So I've mentioned already, Timothy is in the early days of his ministry and he's pastoring in an incredibly challenging situation. He's in the city of Ephesus, as Paul mentions in chapter 1 and verse 3. I've said a little bit about Ephesus already. Uh, God willing, we'll think a lot more about it in a few weeks' time. Uh, but notice what Paul says was going on in Ephesus. Look at chapter 1 and verse 3. He says, As I urged you when I was going to Macedonia, remain at Ephesus. Why? So that you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine, nor to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies which promote speculations. This is what the problem was in Ephesus. Rather than teaching truth and facts, 
There were people perhaps claiming to be uh, preachers, perhaps claiming to be Christian leaders. And rather than preaching truth and facts, they were teaching myths and, and speculations. Rather than declaring good news, they were declaring good suggestions. The word myths that Paul uses there means good stories, legends, fables, but stories that weren't ultimately true. Of course, there's no harm in a good story in the right context. Um, All of us grew up with favourite stories, maybe the Chronicles of Narnia or Robin Hood or stuff like that. But we understood when those stories were being told to us, they were just stories. But the problem in Ephesus is, Paul says, there are people who are, who are peddling myths, who are peddling falsehoods as if they are the truth. They're saying things about God and Jesus and sin and salvation that have no basis in truth whatsoever. He calls them different doctrines in verse 4. Look what he says in verse 6. Certain persons by swerving from these have wandered away into vain discussion. He says people have have stopped thinking about the truth, stopped thinking about salvation properly. They've got caught up in all these ridiculous debates and discussions about nothing of any importance. And he goes on to say in verse 7 that basically there are people in Ephesus claiming to be religious teachers who don't have a clue what they're talking about. They make suggestions, they like to hear themselves speak, but they offer nothing of any value, nothing that is really true. Contrast all of that with what Paul says in verse 15. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. So Paul says, Timothy, in the face of all this nonsense that's being believed and promoted in Ephesus, here's what is trustworthy, here's what is true. And what an awesome truth it is. Such a simple statement and yet a life-changing statement. And every word of this saying that Paul gives Timothy in verse 15, every word of it is important. Christ Jesus, he says, Came into the world. Christ Jesus. Christ is not so much a name as it is a title. It's the New Testament word for Messiah that we find in the Old Testament. Christ means the chosen one. Somebody set aside. Somebody designated for a task. Jesus of course is the human name that God instructed both Mary and Joseph to give to their son. And it means God saves Christ Jesus came into the world. The chosen Messiah, God himself. As one preacher said when he was preaching in this passage, coming into the world and saving sinners wasn't a job that God staffed out to an angel or to a great prophet like Moses or Elijah. God himself saved sinners. God himself, the one who spoke the universe into existence, the one who has Total control over every quivering leaf and every flowering plant in the spring. The one who controls every raindrop, every sunset and every sunrise. He became human flesh and dwelt among us, Christ Jesus, to save sinners. 
He chose to leave his heavenly dwelling to come into this sinful world. He chose to leave his glorious throne where he was receiving the praise and love and adoration of the angels. He gave up all of that to be born in a cattle trough in Bethlehem and then to spend a life being mocked and ridiculed, misunderstood and ultimately rejected and put to death in the most excruciatingly painful way possible, death on a cross. Friends, here is the truth. Here is the fact that is most important for anyone to know. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And as a local church, we want to be very clear about what we're doing. Yes, there's a huge social element to church life, but the church is not ultimately just about socializing. Yes, church life involves baptisms and weddings and funerals, but that's not all the church is here for. And we're certainly not here just to offer people suggestions. We know Jesus works for me. The Bible works for me. Maybe it'll work for you. Maybe it'll help fix your marriage or maybe it'll make your kids better kids or maybe it'll boost your self-esteem. That's not why we exist. We exist as a church to state clearly, gladly, joyfully, urgently, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And again, Paul is reminding Timothy of this, stating this to Timothy To help him counter the myths and falsehoods that were popular in Ephesus at the time. And friends, there are still plenty of myths and speculations in our culture today. They might not necessarily be taught in religious type buildings, though some of them are. But they're just as easily found on Facebook or YouTube or Amazon. And millions of people are believing them and are taken in by them. Myths about what will make you happy. If your house looks like this, or your waistline gets to this size, or your phone gets upgraded to this model. Myths about what people most urgently need to escape death somehow. So much expectation at the moment on the vaccines, and we're thankful for the vaccines, but let's not pretend that there aren't a thousand other threats and dangers out there waiting for us each and every day. Myths about where the Bible really came from and who Jesus really was. Some people will try to peddle the myth that the Bible has been changed hundreds and hundreds of times over the centuries. And what we have today is nothing like what it originally said anyway. And well, if it works for you, that's fine. But it's really just a take it or leave it situation. All of these myths, friends, and many more are swirling around us. We're living in an age that is less concerned with truth and more concerned with opinion and feelings. Oprah Winfrey has been in the headlines this past week. There's uh, a highly anticipated interview that she's going to broadcast between her and Prince Harry and Meghan Markle. Oprah Winfrey has coined the phrase, your truth. And more and more, if you listen to celebrities and if you are watching TV programs, you'll hear this phrase, You need to speak your truth. Even one of the clips that's already been shown of Oprah Winfrey interviewing Meghan Markle. She invites Meghan Markle to tell your truth. 
There's no such thing as your truth and my truth. There is the truth. People have been concerned for months now about the air that we're breathing because a deadly virus is in the atmosphere. But there are myths and lies in the atmosphere too. And they can be deadly for our souls. Paul says to Timothy and he says to us today, here is what is true. Here is not Paul's truth or my truth. Here is the truth. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. God himself came out of heaven and into human history. Lived a perfect life. Died a sacrificial death. This is the truth. This is what I am here and we are here to proclaim to our town, to our county, to our country, to the world. And it deserves the acceptance, the trust of everyone who hears it. The truth that Jesus came. Secondly, I want to think about the people for whom Jesus came. The people for whom Jesus came. Paul says that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And the original language emphasizes that word. It actually in the original says sinners to save. Sinners to save. We might not want to think about it. People might not like to be labeled with it. But it's the truth that all of us in our nature, in our core, we are sinners. And it's easily proved no matter how offensive it might sound. We've all told lies. That makes us liars. We've all taken what doesn't belong to us. That makes us thieves. We've all had hateful, angry thoughts in our minds about other people. The Lord Jesus says that makes us murderers. Even if we haven't done it with our hands, we've done it in our hearts. And we could go on and on, friends. But the point is, if we're honest, we know we're sinners. We can call it whatever we like. We can call it character flaws. We can call them white lies. Whatever it is, ultimately it's sin. And sinners must be punished for their sin. We know this deep down as well, that all wrongdoing deserves to be punished. We get angry when we, when we see someone getting away with something. Boys and girls, I wonder if you've ever seen that in school. Uh, hopefully you'll be getting back to school soon. Have you ever seen uh, the teacher get it wrong and see the teacher blame someone for something or someone gets punished while the, the person who really did it gets away with it? We don't like that. We know that's wrong. Well, friends, all sin, ours and everyone else's, must be punished. And God will punish it. He wouldn't be a just and holy and perfect God if he didn't. And so we need to be saved from that judgment. And Paul says that's exactly what Jesus came to do. He took the punishment that sinners deserve by his death on the cross. Through faith in that, we can be saved. Just in case anyone might be wondering whether Jesus really can save you. Paul gives us a wonderful statement of assurance here. Of what Jesus can do for any one of us. Look what he says in verse 15. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And then he says. Of whom I, Paul, am the foremost. I am the foremost. What does Paul mean by that word foremost. Well as we read earlier in the book of Acts. Paul wasn't always called Paul. First he was called Saul. 
Saul was very religious and very proud. He didn't accept for one second that Jesus of Nazareth was the Messiah promised in the Old Testament. He hated that notion. It didn't fit with his beliefs. And so anyone that he found believing that or spreading that, he either locked them up or had them killed. He took men away from wives, fathers away from children, brothers away from sisters, destroyed their lives, persecuted them to death. And if you had asked Christians in the first decade or so of the church's existence, who is the worst enemy of the church? Who is the last person that you would expect, forget becoming a Christian, but to become a leader in the Christian church? They would have said Saul. But then Saul met Jesus. Jesus blinded his eyes temporarily and opened his heart. And Saul, the persecutor, became Paul, the missionary. The foremost enemy of the church became one of the greatest leaders in the history of the church. Look how Paul describes what Jesus did for him in verse 14. The grace of our Lord overflowed for me. Overflowed. And that word overflowed there, this is the only time it's used in the New Testament. Boys and girls, have you ever held a cup under a tap? You know, you've poured the water out and the cup is filled and you've just let the tap keep running and the water flows all over the place. Paul says, Jesus Christ didn't just pour enough grace into his life, enough love, enough forgiveness. Jesus poured out more than enough. All that Paul needed. Wonder did he have Psalm 23 in mind when he wrote those words. Remember what the, the psalmist says, you spread me a table, you anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Paul's point is very simple, friends. If Jesus could save him, Jesus can save anyone. If Jesus was willing to show grace and mercy to a sinner like Paul, there is no type of sinner that Jesus cannot save. And we shouldn't lightly dismiss that. We shouldn't just kind of let that wash over us without thinking about it. There are men and women who have sat on death row in America for some despicable crime or other. There are former Nazis who were tried at Nuremberg for war crimes. And they have had someone come and tell them the good news of Jesus Christ. And even though they have been guilty of the most appalling, unspeakable sins, sins for which they were perhaps rightly executed by the state, nonetheless, before their dying day, they have come to realize that there is an overflow of love and grace and mercy from Jesus Christ for sinners like them. See, there aren't really good people and bad people in the world. There are bad people and there is Jesus there are bad people and Jesus. And all of us from the squeaky clean to the most hated criminal in society were sinners. And we need saving from our sins. Perhaps you wonder if Jesus Christ could really save you. Perhaps you hear this and you think to yourself, well, you don't know me. You, you don't know the worst thing that I've done or that I've thought or that I felt you'd be, you wouldn't want to speak to me if you knew the worst thing about me. 
You don't know the worst about me. No, I don't. But Jesus does. And if his sacrifice was enough to cover the sins of Saul and turn him into Paul, who had been a religious extremist and terrorist, his sacrifice is enough to save you as well. Look what Paul says in verse 16. I received mercy for this reason, that in me, the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. See what he's saying there? He's saying, Jesus saved me to prove he can save anyone. As an example, Paul says. And the word example there, it's a bit like our word for sketch. Uh, some of you, I don't know if you like sketching, uh, whether you like drawing things. Over the last few months, as Hannah has been doing some interior design, she's, she's sketched out roughly the kind of decor and style she's wanted in each of the rooms of the house that we've been working on. I think technically they're called mood boards now, but they're done, and they're done on a laptop without a pen and pencil, but essentially they're sketches. The room might not turn out exactly as it looks in the sketch, But in the most important aspects, it will. And Paul is saying here that his salvation is a sketch. It's a picture of ours. All the details might not be exactly the same. We won't be blinded by light on the Damascus road. We won't become apostles. Maybe we won't plant as many churches as Paul planted. But we will have an overflowing abundance of the love of Jesus Christ poured into our lives. Will be saved the same way Paul was saved. Why does Dromore Reformed Presbyterian Church exist? Because Christ Jesus came into the world not to save good people, not to save respectable people, but to save sinners. And sinners aren't just out there in our town or our county or our country, sinners are in here and perhaps watching online. Sinners are what you and I were until Jesus saved us and gave us a new identity. It doesn't matter your background, your social standing, your pay grade, your education, your skin colour or anything else. You're a sinner and so you can receive this wonderful offer of salvation. And that's what we are here to proclaim week after week in hopes that we will see more sinners become saints And join us here together. So we've thought about the truth that Jesus came. We've thought about the people for whom Jesus came. And thirdly and finally this morning. I want to think about the right response to Jesus coming. The right response to Jesus coming. Look back at verse 12. I thank him who has given me strength. Christ Jesus our Lord. Because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service. Appointing me to his service. The word service there is a very general word. Paul uses it all through his letters. It can refer to all kinds of Christian activities. And if you have come to know, believe and experience the the grace of Christ saving you from sin. There's two ways in which we should respond. Two forms of service. That we should offer to Jesus. First of all we should serve him by proclaiming him. By proclaiming him. 
And this was the service that Paul was appointed to. He was appointed to publicly proclaim the good news of salvation. This was what became Paul's life mission and purpose. Before he met Jesus, Paul's whole purpose, Saul's whole purpose, had been to silence Christians, to stop people from mentioning the name of Jesus. Now Paul becomes someone known for proclaiming Jesus. He was specially appointed, he says, to serve Jesus by speaking about Jesus. And friends, one way or another, all of us who have been saved by Jesus are appointed to that same thing. Again, we won't be appointed to the same things exactly as Paul was. But we will be appointed by Jesus to something. And we will be appointed to proclaim him to someone. It's of course my firm conviction that God has appointed me to proclaim Jesus from this pulpit. And in any other opportunities I get here in Dremore. But we're all appointed to do this in various ways. Those of you who are parents and grandparents have been appointed by Jesus to proclaim him to your children and your grandchildren. Maybe some of you have been appointed to proclaim him to your colleague or to a teammate, to a next door neighbour. Boys and girls, maybe there's a friend in your class or in your street and God's appointed you to tell them about Jesus. As we have opportunity in the months and years ahead, we'll consider as a church how best to proclaim Jesus to our town and surrounding community. Paul travelled the Roman world. He planted churches. He wrote letters to churches. But friends, all of that was with this same purpose of proclaiming Jesus to the world. And again, that's why this church exists and why I'm here to serve alongside you in proclaiming the good news that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. So we should respond to this by proclaiming Jesus. And then lastly, we should respond to this by praising God for Jesus. Look at verse 17. To the king of ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honour and glory forever and ever. Amen. Paul finishes this little section with what is known as a, a, doxology, a doxology. It's just a statement of praise. It's a blessing. It's a form of declaring the glory and greatness of God. And if you read through the letters of Paul in the New Testament, you realize that this is what happens all the time in Paul's letters. He doesn't ever get very far before he just bursts out into praise for all that God has done through Christ. Just look again at the words he uses. The king of ages, the eternal king he calls him. The king who has always been and always will be. Immortal, invisible, the only God. Be honour and glory forever and ever. Paul here in this statement of praise, friends, reminds us of the unique and powerful and almighty eternal God who made us. He is so far above and beyond us. And yet it's this God who sent his son into the world to save sinners. We shouldn't just proclaim him to the world. We should praise him together. One Christian preacher has famously said, Mission exists because worship doesn't. Mission exists because worship doesn't. In other words, 
Wherever there are people who are not worshipping God, there is a mission to go and tell them about God, about Jesus Christ, so that they become worshippers. And again, that's why this church exists. We don't just send missionaries across the sea. We ourselves are to be missionaries across the street and to our children and our grandchildren and our friends and our loved ones. We go in mission to them because we want them to join with us in worship and in praise. That's why we support church planting in our own denomination and in France and in Spain. That's why every week we will be praying for mission around the world that we support and love. Because we want to see more men, women, boys and girls become worshippers of Jesus Christ. And that's our purpose in gathering together today and at other times to praise the King of Ages, immortal, invisible, to whom all the honour and glory are due. This is a trustworthy saying that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. May we make this great truth known as widely, clearly and joyfully as we can. And may we worship God full of thanks and praise for this great good news. Amen.